0: Once there was this man who had two sons. One day the younger son came to his father and said, Father, eventually I am going to inherit my share of your estate. Rather than waiting until you die, I want you to give me my share now. And so the father liquidated assets and divided them. Not many days later the younger son took all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. He felt so hungry that he wished he could eat the slop the pigs were eating. But nobody gave him anything. That brought him to his senses, and he said, All those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day. And here I am, starving to death. I'm going back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and went home to his father. The father looked off into the distance and saw the young man returning. He felt compassion for him. He ran to him. Enfolded him in an embrace and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have done a terrible wrong in God's sight and in your sight too. I have forfeited any right to be treated as your son. But the father turned to his servants and said, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Go and get the fattest calf and butcher it. Let's have a feast and celebrate because my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost. He was lost. He was lost. And has been found. good morning everyone it's great to have you here today here at first christian church i welcome you here today both those who are here in the West Auditorium and those who are in the East Auditorium, we're very glad you're with us and trust that you are enjoying company with those people around you already. We're gonna, we've got a tremendous service yet lined up for you, but right off the bat here towards the front of the service this week, I'm going to bring God's Word to you and we're going to follow that with communion and then with some with prayer time, then communion, and maybe some baptisms. We'll see how that plays out throughout the day. But for now, would you take your Bible, please, and turn to Luke chapter 15. For guests, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and we're very glad you're with us. And as we look at Scripture today, if you don't own a Bible, or perhaps you don't have one on a smartphone or a tablet, you'll notice there's one in the pew rack in front of you. In the East Auditorium, there are people moving around the room right now, passing them out. And if you'd like, they're not passing out. They're passing out Bibles. And um, I hope they're not passing out. Let us know if that's the case. Uh (laughs) And if you need a Bible, we'd be glad and honored if you would take that home as our gift to you. I want to start today with, um, well, a book came out in 1963. Maybe I'll start there. The book was called The Unwanted Boy. The Unwanted Boy. And it, um, it chronicled the story of a young man or a, a man who had recently died. It chronicled his early life in ways that people did not know about him. Here's, here's the details. This young young fellow was born. Well, of course, he wasn't born old. This little baby boy, he was born in 1870. Um, I, don't know how, I don't know what language we use for or what his story today, but um, the long and short of it was that his mother was in a relationship with a man. Uh, the gentleman was a physician. He was engaged to a different woman. Long story short, she became pregnant. and It appears that maybe the father didn't know that she was pregnant. And so the result of all of that was in Tennessee at that time to be uh, the product of, an, of um, well, this was an Ill- illegitimate little boy and she didn't have the resources that she would need to take care of him. And so consequently, initially they ended up in the slums of Knoxville. This is the late 1800s, 1870 into 1875. So pretty close after the Civil War in many ways. By the time um, he was... Uh, of school age, she was no longer able to take care of him, and he ended up in an orphanage. At nine years of age, his father discovered his his whereabouts and learned that he had a son and actually brought him home. But the result of that was that throughout his early life, he was known as a boy who didn't have a dad, born out of wedlock. And you, Can you imagine that more than a century ago, how people would respond to that? He was castigated with the B word. You may know what that word is. We'll just say it and leave it there. Um, and people called him that all the time. And he grew up even after his father finally found him and brought him home and said, okay, you're my son. And still he lived with that understanding and with that word being attached to his life. It became his identity for a long period of time. And finally, he, he, fi- he finally said that as a, as a young teenager or somewhere in that area era, He was tired of bearing that stigma and he decided that it was no longer going to define him and it wasn't going to be his identity. He went to the military, fought in the Spanish-American War and did well there and uh, came back to the United States at the beginning of the 20th century, went into civil service and from there into politics and by the time he ended his career, he became the governor of Tennessee. His name is Ben Hooper, maybe some of you are familiar with his story a rags-to-riches story, a story of a man who said, I'm not going to allow the identity that people put on me to define who I am. And when people look back on the history of Tennessee, they look back to his terms as he, when he was governor as very good times in the state of Tennessee. It's an interesting story that when it came clear and became known to the public, people were astonished how this man's identity wasn't shaped by what had happened to him and the way in which he was born. But he said, this is how I'm going to live my life. I have a question for you today. What is your identity? How do you define yourself? How do others define you? And are they too congruent? Do you see yourself this, this way and others see you that way? And maybe you see yourself a little higher than they see you and, or they see you higher than you see you? Is it in reality? Can you get an identity of who you are in Jesus Christ? We sang a song. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. If Christ is willing to live within you, what sort of identity should you have? Read with me in Luke chapter 15 and we'll see if we can answer that question. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, dad, dad. Dad, Dad, I want you to hear this. Dad, I want my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he would spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. I want to remind you that as Jesus is telling this story, he's telling it to a Jewish audience, Jewish people then and now do not associate with anybody that's associating with pigs. They don't eat pork. They're not involved in, when you hear the word kosher, that means there are no swine involved at all. So for this Jewish young man to end up feeding the pigs and wanting to eat what they eat, is he's at the lowest of lows. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say, "Uh, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was a still long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But look at what the father said to his servants. As a matter of fact, would you read it out loud with me? It says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. It's a great story. It's a story of coming home. It's a story of of a young man coming to his senses and saying the way I'm living isn't right. But I want you to think about the young man's self-identity. What was his mindset as he got back to the house? I'm certain he was glad to be home. He's been out, he's had a horrible experience, he's tired, sure, it's a long way to walk home. He's ashamed, he's embarrassed, sure, he's remorseful, all of that, of course. But I want to suggest to you today that perhaps one of the biggest mistakes this young young man made was that he was living with a mistaken identity. And his life circumstances had stolen his identity. And in this story that Jesus tells about the lost son, some people call it the prodigal son, he's returned home, yet he's still living with a mistaken identity. If you remember, he sees his father, and his father's heart is filled with compassion. And with a sort of reckless abandonment, the guy pulls up his robes and he goes running out to embrace his son. Yet look at how the young man responds to his father. Father, dad, 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 I've sinned. I, I've sinned against heaven. And dad, I'm really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. I've sinned against you. I blew it all, God. Everything you gave me is gone. And dad, I just want to live here. But, but I'm, you can't be calling me your son anymore. It's interesting to me that that's how he's identifying himself. That even after seeing his father run to him with mercy and compassion, even after being embraced and bombarded with love and kisses, even after those unmistakable signs of the father's love and grace, his opinion of himself hasn't caught up with his new reality, his new identity. See, while, while, while he's shaking his head in shame, insisting, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, the father shouts out to his servants, Hey, quick, get the best robe! put it on him, put a ring on him, put sandals on his feet, and let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. Get the fattest calf you can. The son's head had to be spinning. This identity that he now had in front of his father, a robe, a ring, sandals for me, those gifts were all proof, if you will, of his father's love. They convey uh, a, a powerful meaning in that culture. For example, you know, perhaps getting a ring in that culture. People who wore rings were people of authority, people of power. The king wore a ring. And if you wanted to show that the king was in charge when you met the king, you would bow down and you would kiss the ring. When somebody was given a ring, it was to say, you have the same authority, you have the same... It was a symbolic understanding that presenting him with a ring was saying, I'm placing you in an office of authority. And it transferred all that the father has to the son. This son who is broke and penniless and shamed now has the father's financial ability to be leveraged for his use. Or think about the sandals. You know, in the ancient Middle Eastern culture, inside a house, nobody wore shoes except the owner of the house. The servants, the employees, the hired help, the slaves, they were all barefoot. The son comes home, It would appear without any shoes or at least shoes that are wearing thin. And the dad says, hey, put shoes on this kid's feet because he's not a servant. He's my son. He's family. He belongs in the house. This young boy, he's my son. Maybe you've lost your identity of late. If so, cast off the shame Get rid of that shadow and realize this. God loves you deeply after all. And I would invite you today to awaken, awaken to love. Because when we awaken to love, we come, into, we come to live in the reality of truly who we are. This true identity of a beloved child of God. And to that end, beloved, may I suggest, you should define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is your true self. Every other identity is only an illusion. God's love for you, his choice of you constitute your self-worth. Accept that and let it be the most important thing in your life. And I want to just remind you from Scripture, in a variety of different ways, the ways in which God has an identity for you that may be different than the way in which you see yourself today. Scripture is full of all sorts of great statements about who we are in Jesus Christ. We say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. You're going to like this, friends. Did you know, for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. You are completely different. Your past is in the past. You are a new creation. You're home. God loves you. Or or think about this. It says in Romans chapter eight that nothing in all of creation, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. That passage actually lists some of the things that might separate you. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Can any of those separate us from the love of Christ? The answer is no. In all those things we are more than conquerors, Paul says, the apostle. He says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor anything else in all of creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. You are God's child. You will always be God's child, your home. And it says in Ephesians chapter 1 that in Jesus Christ, if you're in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Your sins have been forgiven. Your slate is white, clean. As a matter of fact, you're not working with the same slate. You have a whole new blackboard to work on. Have you ever gone to gone, Remember back in school? <laughs> Some of you are in school and you don't know what a blackboard is. Let me tell you what it is. It's kind of like a whiteboard. Well, the whiteboard works the same way. You've seen when we say, okay, we're going to clean the blackboard, we're going to clean the whiteboard. And you can take those erasers and, you've, and they kind of clean it up. But if you get really close, you can see the form of writing that used to be there, right? Can I tell you, friend, when we tell you that the scriptures say that through Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven and that you're, they're wiped clean, it's not like if you get close enough, you can still see them. Your identity in Jesus Christ is this. You are forgiven, completely forgiven. It's not like just getting the whiteboard cleaned up. You have a whole new whiteboard to start over with. Your sins are forgiven. You may have noticed that last passage of scripture was from Ephesians chapter 1. You'll find some more biblical information in your program today about Ephesians, how God views you. And I want you to pull it out today because I, I, I'll be honest. I've had uh, what you're about to get in your hand today, less than I got somewhere, rather, in Tulsa 30, 35 years ago. I've kept it. It's been in my Bible at various points along the way. I have it in notes. And so I asked our staff this week to, to arrange for you to get that so that you could keep this and be reminded of who you are. According to Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 has some very profound statements of who you are in Jesus Christ. And may I suggest, you could, you could pull this out, you could tape it to the mirror in the bathroom, and every morning you'd be reminded of who you are in Jesus Christ, that in Jesus Christ, according to verse 1 of Ephesians 1, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing because you've been chosen by God. In verse 4, we're told that we are holy, that we are blameless, that we are loved by God, that we are in Jesus' family, that we are in union with Jesus. And as a result of that, we are favored by God, we are redeemed through Christ's blood, I am forgiven of my sins. Did you know that you are forgiven of your sins? You are covered in God's grace. You've been given wisdom by the Holy Spirit. So as a result of that, you know what? You can be insightful when it comes to the matters of life. You have been trusted with the secret of God's purpose because you are living in God's will. You're part of God's plan. You are a delight to God. And because of that, I've got great news for you, friends. You can be hopeful in Jesus Christ. And coming out of that, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to declare that I'm a believer, that I am saved, that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result of all this, that is that I'm an heir. I am an heir to the total inheritance of God because I've been redeemed by God and I am God's property. Scripture puts it this way, that God has lavished his love on us. Can anyone say amen? Let me say it again. God has lavished his love on us. Amen It's not some measly little love that's kind of given out in little drops or a little bit of budgeted love. No, God has lavished. As, as a matter of fact, I, I was thinking about that this week. I'm wondering if I could explain to you. Um, have you noticed I'll just, I'll just step right into into kind of a little intimate setting here. Have you noticed that when you go in public restrooms these days that um, well, things have changed in there. You're going, where's he going with this, right? Do we really want to know? Um, you used to be able to go into public restrooms, and you could, there was that soap dispenser, and you could push on that all you wanted. And you could get a mound of soap like that, and if you wanted to lather up past your elbows, you could do that. Did you remember those days? But now what's happened? You go in there, and there's this little... And you get, you, there are some social engineers somewhere or the saying, we're not giving out as much soap as we used to give out. Have you noticed that? And you get a little dollop. It's about the size of your fingernail on your pinky, right? And you go, i got to wash my hands with that. And so you, you could hold your hand there all day long, but nothing else is coming out. It, you've got your ration for this visit to the restroom. That's all you're going to get, right? So you finally get that. And you wash your hands. You, I don't know if they're clean or not, but you washed them. And then you, if you notice, what do you do next? You go over to the paper towel dispenser. Now, I would think that given how lazy we are in our culture and how we need exercise, you would think that this would be a good action for us to do on a regular basis. Pull those towels out of that thing. But no, no, we put our hand... Again, I don't know who it is that decided we can't manage that sort of exercise, but we put our hand under there and we go... If you can get the thing to work, right? right? If you go like, if you're doing, let's go like this and you, you feel like you're doing a dance, or, oh, I'm going to get you and nothing comes out, right? And you, you put your hand on there and a little sliver of paper comes out like that. Is that your experience? So you're going, I haven't done, well, it's my experience. I must be doing it wrong. I'll tell you that. And so then, okay, that's not enough paper. You put your hand under there. And you're, on, you're waiting for the trumpet call of God. It's taken so long. I mean, it's a long time. And another little sliver comes out. So what do you do? You wipe your hands and they're, they're still damp. So you think, I know where there's some paper I can use. In the stall, there's some paper in there. So you go in there and you pull on that paper, on that paper there on the toilet roll and I think, the, I think there are engineers. They're in a secret society of some sort. They are. You, I'm just telling you how it is for me. They're in a secret society and they have decided that when you pull on a taper roll, paper roll dispenser, they are in the secret society of engineers of paper, um, toilet paper dispensers. And when you pull on it, they've got it organized so you get one little square. And then you're trying to wrap the thing backwards. You all are going, I can't believe we're doing this in church. <laughs> you know what, friends? I'm tired of a little dollop of soap, and I'm tired of a little square of paper. I'm telling you this. That is not the way God loves you. There is no budget when it comes to God's love for you. There is no, there is no say, okay, that's all you get. You've, you've, you've extended, you, you can hold your hand there, and you say, that nobody's going to say, that's all you get. Mm-mm-mm-mm. mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Scripture says that God lavished his love on you. He doesn't lavish you in small dollops or small slips. See what great love it says in 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. God has lavished his love toward you and he's ordered a party in your honor. This kind of love is the love that has no holding back. This is the kind of love that has no limit. This is the kind of love that does not have a time dispenser. It has no lack of love resources. It has no restricted budget of care. There is no exclusivity set against you. This kind of love is not a well that runs dry. There's no threshold that you might reach, no boundary, no regulated cost to God. There's not some accountant in heaven saying, oh, that's all the love that person's going to get. No stingy dollop of love. No little narrow sliver of care. No, God has lavished. What a great word. God has lavished his love on us. Wow. And look at how the father responds to that in the story. He gives the robe. He gives the ring. He gives the sandals. He says, let's have a party. Quick, everybody. Bring the fattest calf. Let's kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For the son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found. He throws a party he celebrates the son who was lost and is now found. And perhaps the best way we could honor what God has done in our lives is to celebrate, to throw a party. So that's exactly what we're going to do today. Here's how. Perhaps you're here today and um, you're still trying to figure out, have I found my way back to God yet? Uh, and you're going, I don't know how to do that. Well, one of the ways to do that, Scripture says that when we publicly declare who we are in Christ, for some reason or other, that solidifies who we are. Christianity is not a, is not a faith that you hold, hide under a bucket or under, a, under you know, some sort of covering. No, when we are followers of Jesus Christ, we declare it boldly. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect, but we take on the identity that says, I'm not who I was. I'm a new creation in Christ. And to that end... For some people, the best way to do that is to publicly, publicly profane their f- faith through baptism. Because here's what happens when we get baptized. As we are lowered into the water, we, this is what's happening. The scripture says that as we are lowered into the water, the old self is passed away. And as we are raised out of the water, we come alive as a new creation. In our baptism, we declare a commitment to follow Jesus Christ and to live as a dearly loved child of God. And I would suggest to you today, there are some in the room who need to do that today to accept your new identity as a beloved child of God. And we'd love to throw you a party. We'd love to celebrate your baptism. For some of you, it's not a case that you've not found your way back to God. It's just you know where he is. It's just taken you a long time to get here. Someone invited you to join us to this series, and you've discovered, again, your story in the particle sun. You're awakened to longings and regrets and to the love of God. My encouragement to you today is come on home. Awaken to the greatest love you'll ever know. And uh, if you've been on a detour way to get here, to get to following Jesus Christ, and you've done your fair share of wild living like the young man did, and you've never taken a step to publicly proclaim your faith in Christ, can you take that step today? We'd love to throw your party. We'd love to see you get baptized. Yes, today, right today. We had some last night. Whether or not we'll have any this morning, I don't know, but we had some people get baptized last night. And I want to tell you in that regard, we're all set for you. You can choose to do this today. You say, I didn't come prepared. We've prepared everything for you. We got clothes you can change into. We got the unseen clothes you can change into, and all that sort of stuff. We got towels and hair dryers. Been, they say they've got hair dryers. I mean, um, what do you call it? curling irons. Don't take the curling iron in the tab with you. That wouldn't be a good idea at all. We've got a bevy of people ready to help you. And here's how this is going to work. In a few moments, I'm going to invite you to stand. Not yet. And as we do that, um, if you'd like to consider getting baptized today, I'm going to invite you in the balcony here in the West Auditorium. Go down the stairs. There'll be staff members to meet you in the, in the lobby. Here on the main floor, just make your way out. There'll be staff members in the lobby. In the East Auditorium, there's going to be staff members in the atrium, and they'll direct you. And, we'll get you, and while that's going on, the congregation is going to have communion and prayer time together, giving enough time to get all that set. And uh, we were expecting you to, to you to do this today. That some of you need to say, "Ah, oh, I'm going to make a commitment for everyone to know that I've been baptized. By being baptized, that I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm declaring my new identity in him. And um, before we do that, I'd like to just simply bring it home a little bit for you. Uh, I'm going to ask the, the uh, tech team to play a song for you that some of you may know. Uh, before we get to it, I, I need to acknowledge that it's, it's older than many of you here in the room. Sadly, it's not older than me, but that's a different matter. Um, it's, um, it comes out of some folklore and some oral history within our American, history, American um, ethos. There are some who say it goes back to the Civil War. But certainly by the 1930s, what I'm about to tell you is taking place because you can see it in movies from the 1930s. In the 1930s, you have um, in, in some of the movies, you have women wearing white ribbons around their necks. And in the movies of the 1930s, as these women are wearing these white ribbons, they are referring to the fact that their men, their husbands, their fathers, their brothers, whatever, are off in the military, probably fighting a war. We have reason to believe that that may have been the practice all the way back to the Civil War. Moving forward to the 1970s, um, that sort of image shifted a little bit with a guy named Tony Orlando. Do you know what I'm talking about? That this, there's a song that he performed that became very famous. if you guys will start it, where he says, "Well, I'm not worried about a, yellow, a white ribbon here, but now I've got to know why Well, just listen it to it for a minute. If you received my letter telling you I'd soon... To do if you, you know it, don't you? Some of you do. If you still want me Oh, tie a yellow ribbon around me the You want to sing along? Tree. It's, it's a great worship tune. Huge. If you still want, <laughs> me still want me If I don't see a ribbon I can sing the background vocals old really well. I'll, I'll stay on, on the bus Forget about us Put The blame on me if I don't see a yellow ribbon around the oak tree. Now the song goes on from there. As they're getting closer to the oak tree, the young man says, Ah, bus driver, I can't stand to look. Will you take a look for me and see whether or not there's any yellow ribbon around the oak tree? And uh, it goes on from there. I'll please, you know, I hope there's a yellow ribbon. I hope I hope. And then it finally ends up where the whole bus is watching. And the whole bus breaks out in cheers because what? There's a hundred yellow ribbons around the old oak tree. Um, I considered this week putting yellow ribbons all around the auditoriums, both of them. And then it, 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 it occurred to me that's probably not the best symbol that God gave us to remind us of the business that we can come home. If a young man coming home on a bus can meet some yellow ribbons, What do people who are coming home to God need to see? Not a yellow ribbon. What's the best symbol that God gave us to say, I was hoping you'd come home? How about the cross of Jesus Christ? The cross of Jesus Christ. I want to declare for you today, friends, Jesus Christ has died for you. Your sins are forgiven. You can take on a new identity, and you can come home. And it's not about a yellow ribbon. It's about a death on your behalf the blood of Jesus Christ forgives us of all sins we are made completely new we take on a new identity regardless of our birth circumstances regardless of our living circumstances regardless of what you're living in today here's your identity you are loved with the lavish love of God I invite you to live there and I invite you to consider if you've never been baptized to declare your 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 public affirmation of your faith today. I'm inviting everyone to stand and let's pray together about that. Father God, in these next few minutes, speak to all of us. Allow us to know the reality of your work within us. Our plan, God, is that... Um, We want to live in a way that's better than how others see us or even how we see ourselves, but more so. We want to live in a way that reflects your plan for us and your life for us, your love for us. You have lavished love on us. It boggles my mind. God, for those here today who have yet to experience that fully, Lord, I pray that you would allow them to come to you and not like on a bus looking for... Yellow ribbons, but more so, God, people coming and saying we need the cross of Christ, the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we rely on that today in Christ's name.